Houston. I invite you to visit the Lanier Theological Library, built by Mark and Becky Lanier. It is an unbelievable facility. And every year, they attract world-class scholars to come and deliver lectures at their library. And every year, by the generosity of Mark and Becky Lanier, they will send us one of their speakers that they've invited into their library. So we have the annual Lanier Lecture Series here at LCU. And every year, Charles Mickey, who helps direct that library, will bring these guests to us. And Charles Mickey is with us today and our speaker's wife, Jackie. Would you both stand so we can welcome you this morning? (laughs) Wonderful to have you. Our speaker today is Dr. Paul Copan. He holds the Pledger Family Chair of Philosophy and Ethics at Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's kind of like Lubbock. I don't want to take up all of uh, Dr. Copan's time, so I'm just going to keep this very brief. He is a widely recognized scholar, Christian philosopher, who has authored himself or, or edited nearly 40 books, and I have no idea how one accomplishes that in a single lifetime. His primary area of interest seems to be in the direction of apologetics, which is a wing of Christian thought that seeks to show the Christian faith as being reasonable, especially in a world where we find increasing critique and resistance to that. And he does not shy away from some of the hardest questions. He's written a book called, Is God a Moral Monster? Taking on some of the hardest questions that Christians have to answer with respect to how God is presented to us in the Bible and perhaps especially in the Old Testament. These aren't just academic concerns for Dr. Copan. My wife and I had the great pleasure of having wonderful dinner with Uh, Dr. Copan and Jackie and Charles last night, and it was evident that Dr. Copan and Jackie's hearts are in this. They care about faith deeply. They care about faith formation. Tonight he will be lecturing at 7. His main lecture will be tonight at 7 in the Collier Auditorium in the nursing building. His title uh, will be Re-Enchanting a Secular World. I encourage you to come and listen to that. But today we wanted a brief message just for you, our students and our faculty. Um, I pray that your hearts will be open. I pray that somehow faith is aroused and nourished within you today. Would you please help me welcome Dr. Paul Copan. I regularly get phone calls from parents who say, I brought my child up in church, child was involved in the youth group, and then went off to the university and lost his or her faith. I was on staff with a church in upstate New York, and there was a professor at a nearby college who had freshmen coming into his philosophy class, and he made it his goal 
to try to undermine the faith of any, quote, religious person who came through those classroom doors. In fact, he even assigned a paper on the topic, Why God Does Not Exist. So here's a very, obviously, open-minded professor who's really teaching his, children, his students to think uh, about, you know, and, uh, and it's more like propaganda, actually. Not really teaching them how to think critically, um, but just saying, this is what you ought to believe. And maybe you'd say, well, I kind of grew up in that way in a, in a Christian setting. This is what you ought to believe uh, without any reasons being given for why you should believe it. Well, I do maintain that the Christian faith is true, that you can know that it is true, that there are good reasons for asserting that it is true. Someone like C.S. Lewis came out of an atheistic background, and he came to realize that the Christian faith made sense and answered the basic questions. And he said, I believe that the Christian faith is true, like I believe that the sun has risen. He said, I believe not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The Christian faith brought illumination to him. It brought clarity of focus. It grounded him. What I want to do is talk about the issue of doubt, something that we've all wrestled with, and something that the scriptures also take seriously. At the end of the book of Jude, we read that there's this exhortation on having mercy on those who are doubting, that there's a, an appropriate ministry within the church to deal with doubt removal, those who are struggling with doubts. And we've all had doubts of various kinds, but I think a lot of us think that there's only one type of doubt, intellectual doubt, and we'll come to that in a moment. But before we talk about various types of doubt, I want to say something uh, First of all, with regard to sometimes our expectations about what we think belief in God should do or what the Christian faith should do, if it is indeed true, which I argue that it is. Some of us think I've got to have 100% certainty before I can believe anything, especially something like belief in God. Well, think about this. How many people believe in something with absolute 100% certainty. I mean, maybe 2 plus 2 equals 4, but, but there are very few things that rise to that same level. But just because we don't have 100% certainty doesn't mean that we cannot know. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, he says, This you know with certainty. And he goes on to list you know, certain, you know, that certain things, certain people who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, this you know with certainty, with the implication being that there are some things that we can know without certainty or confidence. In fact, how many of you have felt 100% certain about something only to find out that you've been dead wrong? You see, 100% certainty isn't a guarantee that you know something. It is merely a psychological state. But when it comes to a lot of expectations, oh, there's a little bit of doubt, therefore I can't affirm this. No, that's not how it works. We can have good reasons, and even though it's possible that we could be wrong about something, that doesn't mean that we ought to give up on something. But for example, you all, I, I believe that I'm standing, I believe I just hit the microphone. I believe that I'm standing here 
talking to a group of students at Lubbock Christian University. Now, it's logically possible that you all could be an illusion, that this could be a dream. But there's no good reason to take that sort of a thing seriously. I have good reason for asserting that that is true, that, I'm, that there is an audience of students here. So just because there's the possibility that you are all an illusion, there's no reason to say, therefore, I ought not take knowledge seriously. So, in fact, we could also add this. Just because you don't, you know, some people say, well, prove with 100% certainty, and then I'll, then I'll agree to it. Well, the problem is, how can you prove with 100% certainty that knowledge requires 100% certainty? Again, it's a, it's, a, it's a false expectation that people themselves don't live up to in their everyday lives, even in their most fundamental beliefs. But we can still know, even if we don't have that 100% psychological certainty. Secondly, keep in mind that doubts are not in themselves authoritative. In fact, sometimes we need to remember <laughs> to doubt our own doubts. Or as the, poet, the English poet John Donne said, doubt wisely. A lot of times we doubt in very sloppy ways. We just give full authority to any doubt that comes into our minds to undermine some things that are very stable and well-grounded and for which there is good evidence. Do you doubt your own doubts and say, well, maybe I shouldn't take that so seriously? Well, what about that doubting stuff? There, is a spe there are different types or species of doubts. And let me just give to you four of them. There is, of course, the most common one that we're familiar with is intellectual doubt. Intellectual doubt. People have honest questions about rationality and evidence and so forth. And, and we see in the scriptures, of course, that the, that the resurrection of Jesus, this remarkable miracle. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 gives a list of eyewitnesses, those who saw Jesus alive after his death. Even 500 at one time. And Paul said most of these are still alive. The implication being you can go ask them. Paul is very much persuaded that there is a, an objective case that can be made for the Christian faith. And he said, if it isn't true, then we ought to give up and do something else like eating, drinking, and being merry for tomorrow we're going to die. There are intellectual reasons that respond to intellectual doubt. The biggest one being the problem of evil. A lot of us wrestle with evil. That's, that's understandable. But keep this in mind, too. Every worldview has to grapple with the problem of evil. It's not just the Christian worldview that does so. And the, but the question really is not how can we get rid of all of our, answer all of the questions regarding evil, but which worldview has the best resources for helping us to address the problem of evil? And as you look at it, the Christian faith is amazingly resourceful. God steps into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, guarantees that cosmic justice will be done, that, God, that God's existence grants, we understand why human beings have dignity and worth, because there's a God who made humans with dignity and worth. The intellectual resources are there. But there's another, I think, more pernicious kind of doubt that perhaps we don't understand, and that's emotional doubt. This emotional doubt springs from a kind of personal insecurity. Maybe I haven't had the kind of connections with my family, with my parents. There's a lot of insecurity. 
Am I really loved? Am I really cared for? And so a lot of times those doubts get projected to God. If my parents have let me down, if I haven't felt loved here on earth, maybe I can't really trust a heavenly father. And which actually gets things in precisely the reverse order. Our template, our standard, our blueprint should be God who loves us, who goes to the uttermost to rescue us from sin and death and to bring us into his family. But so often we take poor, negative, earthly experiences and project them on God and say, if I can't trust my earthly parents, therefore I can't trust my heavenly father, find security in him. Well, if you want to know how much God loves you, look at how low he is willing to go for your salvation, dying naked on a cross. Something that was seen as a curse, something that you didn't speak about in polite company. That's how low God is willing to go for your salvation. There is emotional doubt, and it's not answered by, oh, here's, a, here's an answer to your question. The emotional doubter will also say, yeah, but what about this? What about that? Or what if it, that, that's wrong? Again, nothing will satisfy the person who emotionally doubts if you simply give to him or her intellectual answers. There's something deeper going on. There's also moral doubt. Moral doubt. Doubt that doesn't come from some lack of information, uh, lack of evidence. It comes from sin. Doing the wrong thing and then trying to rationalize it and then starting to have doubts all of a sudden. Like C.S. Lewis said, you know, the doubter, the person who, who steps over the moral line then says, you know, I've been thinking recently, I've been wondering about that God stuff. You know, sleeping around, pornography, whatever it is, there's then that attempt to justify oneself, to rationalize away God. If God exists, then we're held accountable for our actions. If there is no God, if, if that's called into question, well, then there's, there's a certain sense of freedom uh, to step over those lines that we didn't before. And then finally, there is spiritual doubt. And I've talked to plenty of students uh, over the years, other people too, who've wondered about their guilt, how, could, how God could love a sinner. And remember that Satan, the book of Revelation tells us, is the accuser of the believer. He wants us to feel like we are not accepted before God, that, we are, uh, that, that all that stands before us is our guilt and that there is no hope. And this spiritual element, we need to remember that we are in a warfare. There is a spiritual battle that is going on and that we ought to take those forces of darkness that want to undermine our spiritual well-being very seriously. Uh, 1 Peter 5 tells us that Satan is going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Satan devours a lot of people through technology, through pornography, through distraction, through things that get them off course. And as C.S. Lewis writes in his Screwtape Letters, distraction is one of Satan's favorite methods to get us from truly seeking God and being intentional about our walk with him. And of course, the more we succumb to that, the the and, and take our if we don't take our faith seriously and press on and trust the promises of God in Scripture, we're going to be much more vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one, and lead that leads, of course, to doubt. There are different types of doubt that exist. They're not all to be treated in the same way. 
And perhaps some of you, as you've been wrestling with doubt, maybe you've been asking the wrong kinds of questions. Maybe you've been thinking, shouldn't I have 100% certainty about everything that I believe? Well, that's a wrong expectation. You can still have knowledge without 100% certainty. And when those doubts come to you, do you question them? Do you say, why am I taking this kind of doubt so seriously when there's a lot more reason to think this about the Christian faith than to call those sorts of things into question? There are indeed intellectual resources that are available. And, and as was mentioned, uh, 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 Professor Carey was, uh, was mentioning that <clears throat> I deal with these sorts of questions I, uh, you know, at a popular level. A lot of my own questions are actually expressed in books that I try to answer, uh, try to address those sorts of questions at a popular level. So perhaps that would be a resource. But there, are, there is a vast literature out there that addresses these sorts of questions and would encourage you to begin to look into some of those if you haven't already. Emotional doubt. Making sure that you take your cues from God and his acceptance of you through Jesus Christ rather than simply uh, trying to project on God some of your own, the insecurities that you have and that you can't trust God. Make sure that you get your cues from the right place. When it comes to moral doubt, some of those questions that have come up, examine your life. Are you actually dealing seriously with sin? Remember, there's no security in sin. Once you start stepping over those lines, yeah, you're gonna be, it's going to be a lot more easy to rationalize away your faith, the existence of God, and just kind of raise, up, raise those questions because if God doesn't exist or if God's existence is questionable, maybe you can actually get away with some of these things. And then finally, the spiritual life. Keep in mind that when Satan accuses you, you can agree with him. Say, yeah, all those things that you're saying are true. Martin Luther said this. All those things, Satan, that you're saying about me are true. And there's a lot more that you didn't list about me. But it's because I have a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, on whose righteousness I stand. I don't stand my, on my own accomplishment. And if I were to stand on the basis of my own performance, I would fail miserably. And that's why Jesus Christ came into the world that's what the doctrine of grace is all about. We need outside assistance in order for us to be accepted before God. That what we could not accomplish, Christ has accomplished on our behalf. This is the wonderful truth about the gospel that sets the Christian faith apart from any other world religious view or any sort of worldview in which our own rescue, our own, uh, you know, our own liberation, our own salvation rests on our own shoulders in these other worldviews. But in the Christian faith, it is grace that rescues us. It is that grace that gives us confidence. It is that grace that points us the way to a God who embraces us, who can be trusted despite our own insecurities. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. It is indeed more than just an intellectual set of beliefs that we can affirm as knowledge but you also touch the deeper parts of our lives, our insecurities, our own moral deficiency, uh, the spiritual battle in which we find ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to deal with doubts in their own respective ways, uh, that we might be drawn closer to you and that you would enable us to grapple with these issues and that our faith would become stronger because we have grappled with them rather than suppressing them, ignoring them, uh, avoiding them. Lord, may we draw near to you this day. May we be confident that you are our God, that you are worthy of trust, and that we can entrust even our very doubts to you. 
Give us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks very much.